Hello friends, you're in the foyer of Hit Different with Mikey Fuckface Carl. A few things before we jump into the episode. Uh, Jen Cloa, holy smokes, she just drops knowledge. It gives us a few scoops as well about perhaps a move that's coming up and also about her next record. It might be uh, sung in Maori language. Wow, she just, yeah, she really, really brought her A game. Uh, Sos also brought her A plus high distinction game. So Sophia Morley, our gorgeous uh, co-host, she talks about her Western Samoan upbringing and background and I learned a lot about my friend and I think you guys are really dig it as well because yeah she's um she's just sort of she's up to 4 a.m so <laughs> she's just spitting truth what else what else what else yeah I think that's it I think it's time to um to get into oh yeah that's right um <laughs> I say under the glass ceiling instead of beneath the glass ceiling quite early in the episode uh lockdown brain so I'm going to clear that up great cleared up okay it's all cleared up now Mm, sinuses. Okay, friends, that was a bad joke. Okay, let's get into it. Love y'all. I'll spread the word too because I think I'm, I feel like a bad podcaster in that I don't spread the word enough about Hit Different. Two of my closest friends are like, you do a podcast? Yeah, I should have told you. Uh, anyway, here we go. We're into it. It's on. Uh, yeah. Hello, welcome to my voice in your ears. We are here today, Hit Different Music Culture Podcast, the hottest music culture podcast called Hit Different in the world, with Sophia Molly and our friend Jane Cloa. Say hello, my friends. Hello. Hi. Great. So great. Uh, yeah, I just had my first sip of beer. So happy Friday, happy Monday to all the people live, uh, listening in the future. On this episode, we're going to be talking about aging in, very important and interesting, a new Instagram account that's popped up sort of in the wake of Under the Glass Ceiling. It's going to be talking about the prejudices with ageism in the music industry. So, so you're going to be talking about... Lord's recent EP, sung entirely in Maori language, and the conversations that have come around it. Do we think it's good? Do we think it's necessary? What does that mean to other people who are on their language journeys? There's a lot to unpack there. Absolutely. And Jen Cloa, iconoclast, night of trained uh, <laughs> actress, all kinds of things. Just a bit of a boss, a bit of a boss, a boss bitch. Uh, Jen, tell us about how you're surviving Lockie D 6.0 in 30 words or less. Lots of gardening. That's good. Excellent. You're on gardening leave. Jogging around the Northcote Golf Course. It's like land back. People have just taken back the Northcote Golf Course. <laughs> It's, it's, so, it's so awesome. Like every time I go down there for a run, someone's just like cut a new hole in the fence. Oh and they just they started out these little holes and now they're just like shred like shredding. And just like everyone's in there, dogs, kids, you know, people having beers. Respectfully, with masks. It's all yes. good. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Jen Chloe always shredding. That's what we know her for. <laughs> Yoo-hoo! Friends, let's get into it. Segment one, we are talking about aging in. This popped up during the week and we all sort of went, good, let's talk about this shit because ageism is absolutely a thing across a lot of industries, but especially it seems in the creative arts, mm-hmm. uh, specifically to music in the wake of Beneath the Glass Ceiling and all the great work they're doing. Another Instagram account has come up, Aging In. It was inspired by a recent ill-conceived amazing own goal by Triple J. One more time with feeling when they tweeted, did it hurt? when you aged out of the youth radio station and then backed it up by putting it on, on Insta. And it's just that whole, like, mm. we want more traction. You don't have shareholders. You don't need to be knobs. Okay. <laughs> um, Aging In's mission statement is the movement encourages all music community members to share their stories about the disturbing ageist rhetoric they have encountered throughout their careers. In a joint statement, the anonymous administrators withheld from revealing their identities hence the word anonymous, um, the collective <laughs> gathered virtually to discuss the invisibility accompanies ageing within the Australian music landscape, citing mainstream radio, festival lineups, event rosters. I'm gesticulating, so it's more interesting for, for um, Sos and, um, and Jen. And the industry at large for perpetuating systemic structures of oppression. Before we ask uh, Jen to sort of weigh in on this, um, <laughs> they're calling themselves ageism anarchists. 
and that that title has to go. I appreciate the alliteration, but <laughs> it sounds old. Okay, it just you know it just it with that title has to go and then and then proceed proceed as you were. I think we can come up with it with something better than that. But that aside. Jen, straight up, tell us about your experiences with ageism in the in the music industry and just any observations on the whole. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I was kind of thinking about that today uh, when I was jogging around the Northcote Golf Course. and um, <laughs> Feeling or... empowered as you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 47 and I actually went through NIDA, which is the acting school in Sydney, when I was I auditioned when I was 18 and I started when I was 19, so I was very young. But I do remember right from the start there was this kind of narrative that we all knew that wasn't really spoken about but this shadow of, you know, you need to make it within the first 10 years of your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't, you will never make it. Mm-hmm. So you could have a long and enduring career but you have to make it while you're still hot, young, desirable, whatever that sort of idea or reasoning is. And then when I moved into music, I discovered that it was exactly the same. And I guess it's that thing, you know, there's I think like a famous quote or an article that I read, but it said, you know, men get two faces, women get one. The idea being that men are allowed to age gracefully. Not all men do. (laughs) But, you know, we can all think of some silver foxes that, you know, retain their sort of appeal right through their sort of 50s, 60s, 70s, whereas, you know, women, it's less forgiving. Yeah. So it's always been yeah. there, definitely. Just on that too, I mean, there's an amazing thing uh, from 2016, Last Fuckable Day from Inside Amy Schumer. Have you guys seen this? Where Tina Fey, Julia Louise Dreyfus and Patricia Arquette meet up to do this sketch, to this, you know, this bit about the last fuckable day, you know, and it just completely rips the piss out and sort of exposes how awful the Hollywood machine must be when they're going, well, Sharon Stone, sorry, you're gone. You know, you did basic instinct, you've had enough kind of thing, and which absolutely goes on with aging in and, and sort of some of the examples that, that were sort of um, bringing up and people anonymously anonymously posting, trigger warning, uh, abortion is discussed. Example one, when I became pregnant in my 20s, a mentor told me angrily I should have, I should have an abortion because I had a lot of potential and now I won't have a career. Uh, mm-hmm. Example two, I'm an artist manager and I represent a number of artists, men, women, and non-binary individuals. When I've pitched male artists to agencies and labels, no questions are asked about age. I'm not saying it's not a hustle for guys as well, but when I pitch a female artist, the first question I'm met with is, how old is she? I even pitched an artist to an agency once, gave over all very impressive stats, and then came back with, how old is she? 25. Mm, yeah, she probably want to have kids in a couple of years. Hey. So all this is absolutely goes on. To take it back to Triple J as well, I mean, a lot of the time once you hit 30 in Triple J, <laughs> it's sort of like, oh, really? Can we keep playing it? Like it becomes a discussion, which is a bit noxious. I think too, Jen, you're a great example of someone who's, you released your magnum opus uh, five years ago, four years ago, the self-titled record. I love the, the three-word description, three words. It's self-titled. It's a great way. <laughs> it's a great way to read that and go, oh, yeah. And that's something that you could not have recorded when you were 22, when you were 25, when you even when, when you were 30. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if there's any doubt that older people have something to offer. Um, I think, like, the really big issue is around, you know, I mean, you've first of all, you've mentioned, like, people getting pregnant um, and that affecting their work chances. Um, I guess in the creative industries where your face or the way you look is considered to be how someone will market you mm. is is where it starts to get really problematic. Um, and so I think, like, I definitely um, felt that pressure and I believed that narrative. I really believed that, you know, because I put my first album out when I was 32, which is really late, even by mm. today's mm. standards, right? Mm. And I did get Triple J Airplay and that really did help um, establish my profile, I guess, across media, radio, etc. But I've always flown under the radar and Triple J never picked up any of my music after that first album. So the second, third and fourth album, I found other pathways and ways of being heard. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, it's definitely an issue but also... I really believe that 
building your own structures within mm. this capitalist system, your own communities, um, using the tools that are there, but in a way that I guess pertains to your values and mm. to the values of your community has meant that at the age of 44, I was touring around the world for the first time, mm. playing to, you know, sold out rooms, which was like beyond oh, yeah. my wildest dreams, you know, and the music industry would never have said, you know, if you just keep going, you know, your, your fourth album's going to be the one and you'll be touring around the world, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, Double J Album of the Year as well, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge a few things there. First of all, I'm fair-skinned, I'm slim. Mm -hmm. um, my partner was an internationally famous musician at the time, mm -hmm. so there were definitely privileges that were working in my favour. Mm -hmm. But I think also the fact that I had built, you know, like a lot of knowledge around how to release music DIY I'd helped to co-found and build a record label. I just knew sort of how to work. Yeah. That moment when it came along, I knew how to seize it. Yeah. Totally. You did a great, a great post, uh, and I'll get you in a moment, so <laughs> a great post this week on, on Instagram sort of in response to the, to the aging in where it says Triple J is the product of what it was built on, colonial, violent, white supremacist rule and law designed to keep First Nations folks, people of colour, queer and trans folks, disabled people and women from benefiting. It's not personal. It's working like everything else in so-called Australia to serve its founding fathers. When we talk about ageing out or being too old for the music industry, it's important to remember this is culturally, culturally specific, which is a really good thing to, to bring up and to sort of reflect on, I think. How, how do we think this is going to play out with, with the ageing in... Do we think it's going to have a, a much of an effect? Will it just come and go quickly or does it feel like there's, there's enough momentum behind it? When I saw people starting to post about it, I wasn't, like I didn't feel the same urgency behind it as I did with a lot of the other movements that have been happening mm -hmm. recently and I feel that's very telling but that's the way it's always been, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like um, when I've... I can distinctly remember when I first started, um, you, you know, I guess maybe working further in the industry. Like I started when I was 22, so still obviously very young, but I remember in that first year people were already asking me what I wanted to be doing when I was 25, if I was planning on having kids. If I was having kids, then that would mean I wouldn't be able to do X, Y, Z. Mm. And at the time it really did get into my head. So not only am I coming in as a person of colour in a very white-dominated industry, I'm coming in as a, as a young female, so there's already all of those prejudices against me, and then I'm being told that I'm already on borrowed time without having even left my 30s yet. So that's, you know, I feel like that inflicted like a weird sense of arrogance and maybe competitiveness where it, it never should have been in the first place and it took me until I was gosh well into my mid to late 20s to realize what a crock of shit that was but it's <laughs> it's something that's just so ingrained in not just music but the creative industries as a whole that I feel like it's going to take more than people starting to rally online for there to be actual change and I did feel that again like there just wasn't to be honest, it felt like people got behind it for like 72 hours. This is a great thing. Let's do, you know, fuck yeah, like let's talk about ageism. And then it kind of petered out again. And I, I fucking hate that. I really, really fucking hate that because it's like the predictability of it all is what angers me the most. Do you know what I mean? At least try and surprise me. Try and fucking prove me wrong at least once. I was going to say that beneath the glass ceiling, their latest post has, they put out the tile for aging in and they're kind of, you know, they're getting behind it, which is good. So I think they're, they're sort of echoing what you're saying and, and knowing that unless we do give this a proper push, sort of galvanize yeah. everybody that we, you know, we, we need to keep it <laughs> on the new cycle, a new I cycle. Think, that, I think you know, so, yeah. Two days ago, there was an earthquake and we're already on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah, it happens so quickly. 100%. I, I, yeah, I, feel, I do feel like it's it's such a worthy conversation to be having um, especially now if, you know, we're seeing more and more artists being signed younger and younger, 
as well. Um, like, what are we, what's the legacy that we're leaving to those people? You know, are mm. we still putting that stamp on, on performers? Are we still putting that stamp on people who work behind the scenes to be like, you've got X amount of time to get your shit done? Otherwise, you know, that, that wheel is going to keep on turning and there's just going to be a new wave of factory-made sort of mm. personnel just being churned out. I think it was um, maybe Shard um, D'Souza who said that it should be illegal for people, like, to be famous before a certain age. Um, mm-hmm. And I I really support that. Like, I agree with that. I think it's really unhealthy for mm-hmm. people who haven't fully formed to be thrown into such intense scrutiny. So it's a really weird thing where we worship youth in white dominant culture. And the point that I was making with that post that I put up is that, you know, other cultures respect their elders. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and like we need to remember that it's culturally specific to white culture that we put our parents in homes. We don't, you know, acknowledge our elders. We don't pray to our ancestors. No. So it's, it's, this is the thing is like all of these sort of movements are sort of trying to fight. It's like that great thing where they say you can't fix the problem with the same mind that created it. Mm-hmm. And in a way it's like all of this tumultuous battling inside of this system that was never built to benefit you um, is really the issue. Like across everything is like it's all there designed to oppress you so that a certain small percentage, you know, benefit. And it's so baked into the colony that we've all grown up in that we we forget that it's systemic, you know, like it's so, and it has to be built on huge movements, yeah. not just a fly-by-night online, yeah. you know, protest. And the reason why I put up that post was sort of to point out to people that, yeah, look, ageism exists because of the culture you live in um, and until you get behind, you know, until white middle-class older women get behind, I mean, pick one. First Nations, disabled people, Mm -hmm. trans folks, just pick one and champion for them on your social platforms. Mm -hmm. And when you put up a post about ageing out or ageing in or whatever, I'll listen to you. But until then it's just like whatever. Yeah, (laughs) much. Like honestly get in line because you're at the bottom of it. (laughs) Women are at the bottom of the line of oppression. You know, and, and I'm saying white women when I say that, you mm. know, because there's up. a whole stack of people that come before us. Yep, completely. Uh, a super-duper fascinating article in The New Yorker by a, a guy, a professor from Boston College and a female professor of psych- psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. It's titled, uh, Is It Really Too Late to Learn New Skills? And I'll just read one part of it. Processing speed peaks in the late teens, short-term memory for names at around 22, Short-term memory for faces at around 30. Vocabulary at around 50, in some studies even around 65. While social understanding, including the ability to recognize and interpret other people's emotions, rises at around 40 and tends to remain high. Ability to read a room, be intuitive, know that I'm talking for too long right now. Uh, (laughs) Not only is there no age at which humans are performing at peak at all cognitive tasks, there may not be an age at which humans are at peak on most cognitive tasks. Bit of a mouthful, but you know what I mean. That's like we're all over the shop. So whatever wisdom we, we've accrued and whatever, however good we are at something, that's how we should, we, we should be judged, you know. That's totally. how we should, uh, we, should, we should be rolling. So, And, look, I, I think that I think it's a really it's important to make the point that, like, most people do want to hear from older artists. Like, I don't even think that's the truth. You know, it's just that these dumb markets and idiots yeah. that work out campaigns and you know like the people running the show are fools but you know like there's plenty of people that want to hear vicar and linda there's plenty of people that want to hear you know gillian welsh there's plenty of people that want to hear you know lou bennett like whatever mm. yeah 100 mm. mm. yeah, often they're, they're they're better <laughs> they're better at it because they've been doing it for long yeah 10, of course. Hours your master <laughs> straight up 
Very good. Coming up shortly, Sophia Molly t- telling us about Maori language and how it's uh, sort of permeating beyond just language and how it's kind of yeah in Australia what what we're doing about um, respecting uh, First Nations people and championing their language and their cultures. Friends, fine. Hit different on Facebook and hunt down myself, Sos and Jen Cloa on all of the socials. Don't pester us too much. We're very important. Pump up the next story and interview ahead. Here it comes, the next story. Here's a bit of Liz Lemon-esque music. So, so over to you, my love. Sure. So uh, quite recently, Lord... A bit hype today. Yeah, yeah. Recently, Lord dropped a companion EP to her latest record, Solar Power, sung completely in Te Reo Māori, which is the indigenous language of Aotearoa, most commonly known as New Zealand. So we're talking five tracks reimagined and sung beautifully. I mean... Superior to the originals. 100%. I, uh, it's a hill I'll die on that... <laughs> Te Reo Māori is one of the most beautiful languages in the world. I am not Māori myself, but it's a freaking hill I'm going to die on. I love it. It's such a unifying language and it's, it's just such a, a magic to it that you, you hear any, any music, any gospel music in particular, um, and it's, it's just absolutely stunning. So for Lord, though, it comes at an interesting time for her. Obviously, she was not able to travel and make this record in perhaps um, the conventional way she would have done, i.e. recording it in the States or in any other setting. So she was very much tied back to her homeland in NZ, and I feel like that's potentially influenced the sound and um, the overall output of Solar Power as a whole. So to, to see her sort of go down this route reimagining some of these tracks in indigenous tongue was super interesting to me Mm. since then though it's prompted a wider discussion around you know ongoing themes of cultural appropriation or you know the intent behind adopting the maori language from a non-maori person um for this project Lord sought mentorship and assistance from, you know, language experts, other artists as well. She went to Sir um, Timothy Karetu and Dame Hinevehi Mohi as well as, you know, freaking like Vic Runga and Marlon Williams, yeah. you know. Two she artists. full-assed it. She didn't half-ass it. She full-assed no, it. No, no, she didn't. And I have to give her that because it's not an easy thing to do, especially if it's not your own language. So there's there's a whole kind of pool of cultural politics and identity politics to wade through. But I feel like the record is is beautiful. It's it is strong and it's definitely stands on its own. But when I first heard it, I and I've told this to Jen over email, I felt very uncomfortable when I first found out this was happening. Um and I know that that's a lot probably just mentally that I had to unpack within myself. Sorry to butt in, so is it worth telling us a bit about your your background as well? Sure. So um, I'm Samoan Australian. So my dad is from Western Samoa. Um, my mum is from South Australia. They met in New Zealand, moved back to Australia where I was born. But, you know, I've, I've grown up large, well, until about the age of 10, I largely grew up without much exposure to my Samoan culture. I knew how to speak the language, but I lost that along the way. So it's something that I've returned to, I guess, when I was a teenager and then obviously into my adult years. So when I see a performer or someone with a profile taking on a project like this and being praised for it, quite frankly, if I'm going to keep it 100, that's what makes me feel uncomfortable because it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of backed up trauma and um (laughs) and shit that that we often have to go through the first time I went back to Samoa I copped it because I couldn't speak the language anymore I copped it because I look full-blooded but I have the privilege of not living there and then growing up here being constantly othered for looking too different or not looking Mm -hmm. mainstream acceptable that was a big thing too so I knew that my reactions to this Lord record wasn't necessarily a she shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. It was more of a like, 
okay, well, here's another example of someone who looks acceptable to the mainstream being given praise for using a language or reintegrating a language that has been so historically, I guess, demonized and denigrated for so many years. Mm-hmm. But that that was just me. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon that is bang on. That's bang on. Like what I really hear in your story, um, Sos, is reclaiming a language mm. is, is hard one particularly if you're not immersed, you know. So you moved here to so-called Australia and you lose your language and then you go back home and then, you you know, and that fitting in and not fitting in and that's very much what I hear from a lot of my friends who come from cultures that were colonised, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, the other point that you make that's awesome and spot on is, like, even though Lord donated all of the proceeds from that EP, she benefited as far as prestige. Sure. And yeah. I think, like, she comes off looking like a good white person. And actually Eve Tuck, who's a fantastic First Nations scholar from Ontario, talks about settler moves to innocence. But the fact is is that none of us can decolonise our way out of the fact that we're settlers on stolen land. It's just a fact. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, like, I think Lord's awesome. From what I've heard of her in interviews, she's great. I feel like she went to it with, you know, good intentions. But I think what it really shows up is, like, if you're not from that cultural group, it's probably better to stay away because what's happened and what happened in the wake of this album is that it overshadowed a beautiful week that's dedicated to Te Reo Māori. Mm. And it became sort of like this big debate around a white girl, you know, for a week that... Again, it takes the focus off. Exactly. And I also thought to myself, you know, that's what she wouldn't have realised walking into it. Because how would you know? You don't know the trauma of, you know, a colonised people. And the other thing that I just thought was... Lord, like many people in Aotearoa, myself included, because I have Māori and Irish heritage, mm-hmm. but, you know, she has Irish Gaelic blood and that is a language that is on the verge of extinction. And, like, what an amazing cultural experience it would have been for her to reclaim this language, uh, learn something about her people in the process Mm. And I think, you know, as a friend of mine who does a lot of cultural safety consultation, Leah Arvane was saying to me yesterday is risk something in the process mm. because that's the feeling that I think we have when we're learning a language that is our own is that mm-hmm. there's a lot to risk because so much identity is tied to it. From a music critic perspective, I found I enjoyed Lord's EP far more than her solar power in, in English language. I also think she definitely did take a risk because she's a smart cookie. She would have known, yep, backlash, forward lash, everything else that goes along with it. Perhaps didn't see the whole the whole picture in that, you know, the overshadowing, you know, a very important week for New Zealanders. But the fact that, yeah, has donated to charities, Forest and Bird and the Tihoa Kawaraki Charitable Trust, that's absolutely noble and I, I think we can't ignore that for, for a second so but i absolutely like even to listen to you guys talk for the last 10 minutes i feel much smarter and much more sort of up to date as to how i should think you know and you know we always get you learn a lot more with your mouth closed that's always <laughs> the truth another thing because i've re- this is this sort of haunted me for days and i know it did for sos as well because mm. i sort of approached you and said what do you think about having a chat about this and you were like oh my god i've been thinking about this yeah. and i didn't expect it to hit so hard. I was about to say yeah, different. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> Placement. Well, that's on the bonus episode coming up. True story. <laughs> but I think there's a difference as well. And and again, like I don't want to lord bash because I think she's awesome. And also she's only 24. Mm. Yeah. And I just want to bear in mind like. Her career is nearly over. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just, I just feel for her because she's probably at home like. With her head, you know, probably in bed wishing she'd never done it. Who knows? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think it's backlash. I think she's chuffing on the uh, chuffing on the beach, having a great time. Just like she's wow. in, the cl- in the clip. She's I hitting just, that shit. Yeah. I mean, I just hope, 
because I, I was the same as you, Jen. I'm like, I'm I'm not here to bash the girl because that like it doesn't achieve anything. And if I'm if mm-hmm. I'm wanting to if if I'm wanting more acceptance of indigenous languages, then I I can't be throwing up roadblocks every time someone tries something, even if it's like, oh, the optics not great. But what I do hope is that this is a serious part of her journey to find out more about the lands that she has been born and raised on. The one thing that did kind of struck me struck me hard reading the initial interview that she'd given, I think it was the spin-off in NZ about this record. She employed the talents of a number of translators to help put the lyrics into Maori and to, to help her with her cadences and with her accents and just learning the lyrics in language. But it, it didn't sit right with me because I was thinking, okay, well, she's learnt it in language, but does this mean she's actually learning the language? You know what I mean? Which is... Mm-hmm. 100%. That kind of really didn't sit well with me. But I'd love to be proven wrong. So if this is something mm. where she's just like, you know, I really do want to go deeper now and and actually, mm-hmm. you know, incorporate that into my life, then that's absolutely wonderful. And she's got the platform. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to be... Hopeful. It feels like it's all on all on the table for her. Definitely, but then you know we we can think about it. This idea of using indigenous language and and bring it into an Australian context as well. Like I feel like it's so beautiful what artists like Alice Skye has been able to do on her record as well. I did a really lovely interview with her around the album, and I was really careful not to not to make it just about oh, so you sung in you sung in language on this record. What does that mean to you? Because, like, if it's something that's so intensely part of your personal journey, that's all it has to be. You're not mm-hmm. you're not writing it to be like, I need a track on my album that's sung in, in, in my people's language. You're doing it because that's just part of your process. And that was really interesting to talk about with her. And then when I found out about this EP, I'm like, it's, and I was saying to you, Mikey, that the approaches of those two different projects was was really fascinating to me. You know, for Alice, she was telling me this is part of her own personal reclamation and her own personal way back to a language that she lost. And for me, that that was way more impactful. You know? mm. And she was quite apprehensive but... talking about it because she wanted to do justice to a story that's 50,000 years old. Remember her saying, mm. yeah, so, you know, I was thinking it all needs to be perfect. And then she was kind of like, you know what, it doesn't need to be perfect. On the song, she sings, I am searching, I am listening, I will search to speak my tongue. That's the translation. Uh, tell us about yeah, tackling that in the studio and having those conversations to sort of bring that to light, Jen. Well, yeah, I mean, I just stood back because, you know, it's she was very clear about that song and we, I think it was always just going to be a, a piano and vocal song. Mm. I think it brings the fragility forth. And I, and I think that's really symbolic as well as like there is a lot of fragility in reclaiming languages that were literally beaten out of our ancestors' bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, like it wasn't, I think that's the thing that people don't really think through is like how were these languages lost? You know, there were laws mm-hmm. that meant that we couldn't speak our languages as Māori, as Samoan, as mm-hmm. uh, First Nations people in this country. And even though, you know, I don't have any direct memory of that, there are plenty of people in our whānau and our extended families who do, you know, who can mm-hmm. tell some tales about why their grandmother didn't speak te reo Māori outside of the house. Or mm. So, yeah, I mean, bringing it back to Alice's album, though, you know, I just, what I love about Alice is she's such a keen observer of life and that song is, it just sums up so much, you know, like there's a couple mm. of songs on that album. Another one is Hot Car where she uses the image of a bunch of flowers left in the car too long that then perish. But it's actually about never meeting her father because he passed before she was born, you know, connecting with him on their country, the line, you know, pretty, they're so pretty, changes towards the end of like you know do you think I'm pretty you know talking Mm. about how we need to be affirmed how important 
you know, those father figures are in our lives. Like it's just, and it's just the most simple, beautiful song, but it's rich, you know, and I think that's the thing I love about Alice Skye as an artist is that on the outside things can look very simple, but if you spend some time with her songs, there's a lot more going on under Mm -hmm. the surface, eh? Yeah, 100%. Totally. Again, natural storyteller. Both Miesha and Ziggy Ramo sampled Tony Abbott's deplorable lifestyle choice speech. Baker Boy, by the time this goes to air, will have headlined the AFL Grand Final, essentially. And Miss Blanks, people like that, are getting ad syncs and their, and their, their, you know, their voices are out there. And music is being used a lot more in the mainstream, which I think mm. this is a bloody good thing. We just want to make sure it's not just a phase, it's going to be ongoing. And someone listening out there, maybe my friend Le- Brendan Williams from Level 2, use Alice Sky's music, please on uh, a new TV show or a new film. Why not? I dare you. Friends, find us on Facebook and Twitter and all kinds of places. Uh, What else am I going to say? I'm going to say this. Um, If there's something we should be covering on the show, fucking tell us. Hit us up. We're all on Twitter. Message. Hit different Facebook page. In a second, Jen Cloer. Iconoclast. (laughs) Giggler. Singer, songwriter, producer, actress, piss taker, former amp judge with me, twice amp nominee with her records in Blood Memory and the self-titled record. She's done a lot and it just feels like with you, Jen, you're always just getting started. My favorite lyrics of yours, here's a notion, drink this potion, make me go away. Grass is greener, life is sweeter, everyone is gay. It's it's the same thing with Montero at the moment. A lot of people are tweeting like, Montero, I'm not gay, but I kind of want to suck dick right now. <laughs> <laughs> that can be the quote. That can be the quote. That's the Kathy, producer. <clears throat> that was the song Needle in the Hay. That was the song Needle in the Hay, which I had forgotten about, and I'd forgotten <laughs> about oh. those funny lyrics. I thought you were oh. going to say that your favourite lyrics were most most critics of pussies who want to look cool, those who can, they do, those who can't, review. It's fantastic. It's a little nod to Lou Reed. <laughs> Love it all. <laughs> um, you know, there we go. Um, <laughs> tell us about what kind of music you're making at the moment or whether you're doing more production stuff and it feels like an album's building up inside you. I've actually had a record sort of written and demoed and ready to go for cool. probably for about a year. But well, cool. yeah. I, can't, I can't record it. <laughs> True. Oh, no. <laughs> I got a little bit of recording in in May and I was actually hoping to go home to Aotearoa because this is the first album where I do sing in language, in Te Māori. Excellent. I haven't, well, I'm actually in the process of of working on a waiata, which is all yes. Māori, um, with an amazing artist, um, Thea. I love her. Isn't she? No great? way. Get yeah. fucked. I'm gonna yeah. put the table. <laughs> I love her. This is this is an interesting thing. So so I reckon you might dig. Is um, we were sort of chatting about because I've written a song and then I mm. came to her and and I said, look, I'd really love to maybe translate this into like the whole song, not just the chorus. And you know, would you be up for translating? What would your fee be? And she said, look. To some extent, it's I'm a co-writer. Yeah. You know, like translating is, you know, I'm taking the essence of your lyrics and I'm writing them into Māori. And I was like, oh, that is such an awesome point. Like I had never thought of that. Um, And I was like, well, we should definitely work out co-write splits. So anyway, that's just an interesting, I mean, this is Mushroom, you know, this is the world of Mushroom. There might be songwriters listening. It's a kind of cool little side. Completely. Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's got me hyped. I'm into it. Yeah. You, I, met, I, met, I met her in Singapore in oh, wow. 2016. I think she was showcasing, well, she was showcasing at Music Matters, which is a conference in Singapore. And I interviewed her over there and she was just so kind. But the voice on her, she's a fucking dynamo, like badass performer as well, Mikey. Definitely go look up her stuff. I think you'd really dig just, it. Just Thea? T-H-E-I-A. Turn the clock back a second. So about a minute ago, you said it started with W. 
We're doing a wa. Oh, a waiata, which is the. Can you please explain that to our listeners. Maori word. So waiata is is simply the Maori word for song, or to sing. You know, yeah, sing a waiata. Mm. So I have sung waiata, but I've never written one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this album definitely has uh, te reo throughout. Um, and I really love that as well because I think it invites people in when they mm-hmm. can understand the English and then yeah. might, you know, perk their curiosity to go, oh, I wonder what she's saying there, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the whole album isn't just about that, but it was definitely, I'd say the heart of the album is about my matrilineal line, which is mm-hmm. Ngāpui and Ngātikāhu Wahini Māori. Um, and that's my mother, uh, grandmother, great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother are all Māori wahini. And it's kind of wild to sort of see this unbroken line. Mm. And I've always mm. felt it, you know. I've always felt it but I think this is an interesting episode. I won't stay on this forever but I think, you know, having the diasporic experience of growing up in this country, I was born and raised here, is that I had an idea that I had to earn being Māori. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Mm. Yeah, Particularly when you're fairer skinned, you know, mm-hmm. and mm. no one, you know, like I haven't uh, had to deal with racism. You know, there's definitely mm. been aspects of my culture that haven't been passed along because of colonisation. But me directly, you know, I've never had to deal with overt racism. I've had to deal with you know, homophobia and transphobia, but not not racism. That's a whole other kettle <laughs> yeah. of fish. That's a whole yep. other kettle of fish. Sure. So I think in a way I thought, oh, you have to earn it. You know, you're not Māori enough. You don't speak the language. You don't know anything about your culture. Um, and then I think just a few years ago I was like, you know what, I'm going to go and start learning uh, te reo Māori. And I've been on that journey for a few years now and, you know, it's been it's been incredible. Mm. And it's been beautiful to be able to bring it in into these into these songs. So yeah, the heart of the album is about my um, the women in my family. Yeah, beautiful. amazing. I cannot yeah. wait to hear it. Uh, yeah. Any, any scoop on the title? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm toying with. I think uh, there's a beautiful there's a beautiful saying which is a uh, to awa to awa kual, which is I am the river, the river is me. I think that might Do be the title. Much. Yeah, it just feels very yeah. where I am right now in my life. Where, whereabouts is your family from, Jen? Um, yeah, they're uh, to Tai Tokoro, so Northland. Oh, Northland. From a little a little place called Matangiro, which is near the Fongonoa Harbour. Beautiful. Um, it is beautiful, beautiful Fenua, beautiful country. No, I was just going to say New Zealand is like, as soon as we can travel again, I'm on a plane. I'm oh, on a plane. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other big. That's the other big news is I'm moving back. I'm <gasps> moving back, Mikey. I'm Oof. leaving you. Oh. Scoops galore today, friends. Jesus, it's over. I'm sorry, mate. Wow. <laughs> see how she just you went and did it like that. You won't see me once a year at a gig. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And uh, moving in with Lord. Now, no one saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> I don't know. I um, don't know if I'll God. be in Lord's uh, neighbourhood. I was going to ask about I Manage My Music and we'll also obviously ask about this massive life change that's approaching. <laughs> I want to know, though, in your 2017 self-titled album, there was love, there was chaos, there's all kinds of things going on. You had a partner who you described as was like a living nightmare in one interview with Bridget Chrisfield. Well, you imagine this person you love, the whole fucking world seems to have them. You don't have them. Hey, that's the person I love. She loves me. Hearing the songs on the radio, their name just popping up everywhere. So do you need some of that chaos back for this record? Are you happy to sort of push that to the side and go, I've got enough to deal with and I've got enough here that I, I, I can make an album I think will be as good or even better than the last one? Yeah, I sort of don't really look at each album as, as you know, will it be better than the last one? I think they're all just really yep. different, hey? And um, mm, mm. I've always written about what's happening right now you know what's going yeah. on what's you know what's sort of pulling pulling me toward toward it um and i think that record the last record i think that blew my mind like people related to that record all over the world deeply and i'm talking about how shit it is to be a musician in in so-called australia <laughs> like that's the through line right <laughs> it's just it was something actually tomo from poison city was saying is like there's a whole club of women who have just had enough 
you know. <laughs> and it's just like I've had enough and here's my album about it, you know. Yeah. If anyone needs some vitriol in their life, follow Tomo on, on Twitter. That's all you need to do. Yeah. All the vitriol I can you love following her. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, I think, yeah, just, just different. And, um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, that's just that reminder, Mikey, of um, particularly with that sort of ageing in idea uh, or ageing out or whatever, you know, that was really confronting. Um, because there was a 14-year age difference between us. I mean, like, I had to get over that for the first couple of years. I was like, I can't believe I'm going out with someone 14 years younger than me. <laughs> but when I got over that and just sort of got on with it, uh, then she became, like, world famous in that genre of music, you know. Right. And that was really confronting because I was in my late 30s and I had so much envy and jealousy and, you know, like I couldn't go to her with it because, like, that's going to destroy the relationship. And so what I had to do was, like, grow up and get over myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that process, I'm so glad I got that opportunity to do that in this lifetime Mm -hmm. because it's so much easier to move in the world without comparing myself to others or being in some false competition or, yeah. you know, all my life that had been there and, and it's not there anymore and I'm just like, mm. thank God. Mm. So Definitely. painful. Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy. It's one of the, the great quotes that, which only came to me about a year and a half ago. start of pandemic, comparison is the thief of joy. It was just a great way to go. Just to go go about your life, just remembering that as, as often as possible, because it's something you need to say to yourself every single morning, in a way, you know, to remind yeah. yourself. Fucking heavy. Yep. Um, what, why are you going to, back to New Zealand? Tell us a bit more about that. Well, I think for me, everything that I want to learn about is back on the land and with the people. And you know, you could say to me, "Oh, why don't you go back to Ireland?" You know, like. You're from there as well. And it's like, yeah, but I have really immediate, you know, living history like three Mm. hours away from me on the most beautiful Mm. land in the world. Totally. Um, And I think as well, like I I really want to get, you know, go along to some of the, you know, real wananga and spend time immersed in the language. Mm -hmm. Um, because there is something, uh, the incredible thing about, and this is, you know, where you started, um, so earlier was the incredible thing about, um, you know, te reo Māori, and that's the only language I can speak to is within the language, there is so much encoded about how Māori as a people move in the world, what they hold valuable, um, what they're called to be, what they believe in, their spiritual life. Te ao Māori, you know, it's, it's, I've fallen in love with it. Yeah, it's mm. so easy to do. Mm. And that's one of the gorgeous parts about being in, in New Zealand. It's just that there's history everywhere. Like you don't need to mm. go to a place to, to look in a museum to, to find the history. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's in the nature of the country. It's, it's in its monuments that are so immaculately taken care of. I can, yeah, I can completely get it. When I went, the last time I was there was the end of 2018. Um, mm. I flew to Auckland to get my, my hands done. Amazing. Tattoo for the everyone way. out there, not like surgically enhanced or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I went over there to get hands my hands done. done. Uh, no, um, <laughs> I got them tattooed my in hair, Auckland. I bought it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got got them tattooed in Auckland, and then I flew to Christchurch for some uh for some work thingies. Um, but when I was there, Marlon actually took me out to Littleton, and and we spent some time out there, which was amazing. Like gorgeous little pocket, gorgeous little pocket of the country. When we were both flying back the next day, he kind of, he took me on a drive like around sort of like the harbour, and just to like this really small church that had been sort of revitalized and brought back after the, you know, the the many different disasters that has hit that area of the island over the years. And it was just tiny, but it was right on the water. And you go there 
and there's just such a deep reverence like we didn't need to talk about it we just went there and we stood there and we just kind of admired things and um that's New Zealand or Aotearoa in a nutshell you know yeah. you, you go over there and, and mm. you just you can just absorb so much history there mm. and I, I really don't think you get that in many other places certainly not in the same way you know yeah mm. I thought you were gonna say and then we got married and then we got married <laughs> and then we got married no, he no. took me to a small church he took me to a small married. church on a lake and then we got married no, no. and it really it it could be worse than getting married to Marlon Williams, let's face yeah. it. He's a dish. <laughs> milk. How the hell are you still running milk? I went to the recent yeah. show, Brunswick Ballroom, Hachiku, Georgia Mac, Nat, Vaser. Sick show. Loved it so much. Saw you there, Jen. Obviously, have some challenges with running milk with your, with your ex-partner, but also milk seems to be doing super well. Um, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually fine. Like, Court and I work really well together. Yeah, I think that's something that we've always, you know, that was that was kind of our love child was Milk Records. Mm-hmm. And I've loved, I've always loved working with Courtney on that label. Mm. And we've also had amazing people like Tom Larnick-Jones who came in for a couple of years yes. and was, was managing the label, just a CLJ. beautiful, beautiful human. Mm. I think like everything, it's been tough. Like I won't lie, you know, like any small independent music business And the main reason being is, like, no one's really releasing music because they can't tour. Yeah. And I guess the other side of it is that, you know, the way that Milk Records has traditionally fundraised is through recording compilations, Mm. playing group shows, Christmas shows, residencies, Mm. um, as a way of of funding all of the stuff that you want to do. So, yeah, look, it it has been tough. But at the same time, we've released, you know, like even... You know, this year alone, like I think one of the albums of the year, which is Liz Stringer's yep. first time. Such really feeling, a good album. Oh my goodness. So good. So good. We've released the the Bachelor album, which is a mm-hmm. um a two piece um Pale Hound Bachelor. It's an amazing record. Go and listen to it. And we're about to drop the Hand Habits, their third cool. album, and it's it was produced um by Sasami. And uh, in LA, and it's so good. So you know, we're still putting out great records, and also Court's got her—is it fourth, third? How many albums has she put out now? She's got her record coming out, third, yeah. um, which is a beauty as well. So yeah. you know, on whatever, onward. Yeah, things are popping off. Everyone, get vaccinated, especially you, Ziggy Alberts. Tell your people. Tell your people, friends. We've come to the end of the the app, but Jen, do you want to stick around for a bonus episode where you tell us about music that hit different for you? Yes, yeah. Excellent. Yay. Thank you so much for being on our show and being so freaking honest and taking us through your New Zealand's New Zealand story, your Maori story, and just you know just laying it all out for us in ways that I knew you'd be honest and and very sort of uh, you would illuminate things, but you've gone above and beyond. You've been incandescent, so thank you very much for being uh. on the show. So she sure being a, a, a boss bitch as usual. Right now, though, friends, it's time for the bonus episode with our guest. If you're a subscriber, it'll be there in your podcast feed. You might have seen it already. Get it free this Thursday. Support Hit Different and other Mushroom podcasts. Shout out to MG up there covering Australian music by becoming a subscriber. Check out the show notes for more information. 